Hi, welcome to another episode of the Shutterbug Life's Ask Lynn podcast segment. And this is the, I do these mini segments during the week from time to time where I answer your photography related questions. Now, today's question comes from Ruth. I'd worked with Ruth. I did some one-on-one -on -one training with Ruth on getting to know her camera. And she sent me an email shortly after saying, hey, Lynn, do you have any in-depth notes on macro photography? Now, he here's the thing. I've Since I've been blogging now for about five years on these photography kinds of issues, I have something on just about every topic you might ask for. I can, you know, I can usually put my hand on a resource that we've done and say here. But it, when she asked about macro, I said, wait a minute, I've not done anything on macro yet. And so... Here's a good excuse to go back and talk about macro photography for those of us who might be interested in getting better macro photos. All right. So here goes for you and for Ruth. Let's talk about macro photography with this macro guide. Now, first of all, what is it? Now, macro is uh, when you can focus on subjects that are very close to your camera. And it's usually either a lens or a camera that allows you to focus on subjects that are very f close to your camera. And then it allows you to reproduce them at sort of life size. And the reproduction, as they say, is usually a one-to-one -one ratio, meaning what you see is what you get, meaning the size of the subject is the size it shows up on your lens, on your sensor rather, or in the film negative. So it's a one-to-one -one ratio, uh, life-size reproduction, and it allows you to get your camera extremely close to be able to take that image. Now, what do I mean when I say close? Well, here's a couple, here are a couple examples. When Canon release its its EF 100 millimeter f2 lens. The minimum focus um, range was three feet, meaning that's the closest you could get to your subject. The camera was three feet, and then when they released their 100 millimeter f 2.8 macro, the minimum focus distance was one foot. So. You know, it, it, it lets you get closer from a, from a degree of three feet to one foot. And the same thing held true with Nikon. Their 105 millimeter um, lens uh, without macro was, had a minimum focus distance of three feet. And then the macro version of the 105 millimeter lens had a minimum lens, uh, minimum focus uh, distance of one foot. So that gives you an idea of how much closer you can get when you're using a macro lens, um, almost as in these cases, two-thirds closer, if you will. My math is correct on that one. Okay, So it will macro will allow you to get much closer than a normal lens and or camera. And I'm, I'm going to stop going back and forth between lens and camera because I'm really going to talk about lenses in, in this segment. If you have a point-and-shoot or even if you have... Um, your your mobile photo uh, iPhone or something like that you're taking pictures of with, you will see a macro setting, which will have the same effect. It will allow you to get closer and uh, you know reproduce at a at a um, 
at a one-to-one ratio, or sometimes some of them are even more than that. But the point is, it, let, it allows you it allows you to get much closer. I'm I'm going to, as we go forward from this point, refer to them only as macro lenses because that's really going to be the focus of this segment: the macro lenses. And so why would you want to use a, a, a lens that allows you to get that close, a macro lens? And for many people, it's because you're photographing small objects like flowers or insects. And so you want to get close enough to them so that you can, um, you know, you can fill your frame up with your subject, whether it be um part of a flower or you know bee or bug or dragonfly or some insect like that um and i think that's what ruth was doing and and so when you get very close it gives you a very different viewpoint which is another reason you might want to experiment with macro photography because if you're standing back the viewpoint you get usually includes a subject and a lot of other things in the the background and so you getting close you can just about um, eliminate everything else and then just focus specifically on your subject and it's a it's a very different viewpoint and and it's uh, sometimes being able to to magnify your subject like that makes it look much more interesting the other reason is you get to really help your viewer focus on parts of your subject for instance, if you go in very close, you begin to see things that you might not have noticed. So if you look at the image I have as a um, for the illustration for this post, it's of a bee on a sunflower. And because we're in so close, you can see the pollen on the bee's legs and and face and all all over the place this bee is covered with pollen and you wouldn't notice that level of detail had we not been able to get in so close and to see um to see parts and details um with uh, with this image that we might not normally have been able to see with a, a lens that didn't allow us to get that close it allows us to see things like texture and you know as you step back uh, on any photograph you will you know start to see the bigger picture but as you get in closer and closer you allow your viewer uh, the eye of your viewer to then really go in and start to isolate their various things in the image which might not have been noticeable before and things like you know texture or just as we said like with we have with the the pollen and the bee's legs um we would we'd be able to see little details that are now uh much more readily apparent you know sometimes you do it just to to photograph just small objects I found where you know because I blog a lot in this blog and some and I've been doing some other blogs also that if I wanted to to photograph a small object for instance to to use as a an illustration for the blog post I couldn't get in close enough to really showcase the object like I really wanted to and so that's another reason I thought you know really you know macro might be the way to go if you're illustrating something or you you want to photograph a small just a small object of any kind and so when you can do that you can get in close and really see the object and again fill the frame with it then you find that macro is a very good tool to use now if you decide that you want you know this is something 
you would want to do, you have just a wide range of options in terms of lenses. And, and you find that most macro lenses range somewhere in the focal length from 40 millimeters to about 200 millimeters. Now, if if that doesn't make sense to you, you should, uh, I have another um, episode or blog I did on your lenses and what the focal lengths mean. So you might want to go back there if you find that is confusing to you. But just in short, your your focal lengths are, you know, how close you can bring the subject to you and how much of the the periphery left to right you'll also be including. And so you've come from 40 millimeters, which is, you know, almost wide angle, not quite, to 200 millimeters, which is a tele, you know, a telephoto focal length and you have this entire range in most camera manufacturers um, um, uh, macro lens portfolios okay and so how would you decide which one in that range is good for you well the shorter focal lengths and I'm by shorter I'm going to say between 40 millimeters and 60 millimeters um, which is where you'll see Nikon and Canon have options in that range, you're going to have to, you'll find that you're going to have to get much closer to your subject uh, to be able to fill the frame with your subject. And and so this um, focal length is good if you want to be handheld because the, your shutter speed at a 40 millimeter, you know, you, if you double it to eight, one eightieth of a second or one one hundredth of a second, you're finding that you're getting a mass, much faster shutter speed for handheld. And so with the with the shorter lenses, it works better for subjects that aren't moving and for subjects that are, um, I'm, I'm sorry, for subjects where you want to go in and be handheld with, with your camera. Okay. And then the next range of focal lengths, I'll say around 90 to 105. And you find that most of the mid ranges for um, Nikon, Canon, or anyone else are going to be in somewhere in this uh, in this range, and these are, you know, they have, they've been described as good all purpose, and I think these are better for for you if you are going to be on a tripod, but you don't want to get too close to your subject. For instance, if you were photographing butterflies or dragonflies or bees or something like that and you were using your 40 millimeter, you'd have to get so close, you're likely just to scare them away. And so that might not be a good option for that kind of a subject matter. The other thing is uh, with, uh, with the, the 90 to, to 105 range, um, it keeps you away because in the 40 to 60, depending on what your light source is, you might even cast your shadow onto your subject with your, from the shadow from the camera because you're so close to it, depending on where the light source is. And this is a possibility because you're so close. With the mid-range 90 to 105, that's not as likely to be a problem. Uh, and But then the other thing is now you're going to need a little faster shutter speeds as you shoot. And we'll talk about this in a, in a second. But 90 to 105, I, I think, are probably a, uh, is a range where you have a good all-purpose and you can do most things. 
And that range, of course, also helps let you double as a portrait photography lens and because that's a great portrait range, 90 to 105. And so if you've got that lens, you can um, use it for dual purposes. And then you will find that there's also some long-range telephoto macro lenses. And we'll say this is 150 millimeters and higher, north of 150 millimeters all the way up to 200 millimeters. And this, of course, is best if you need a, just a lot more distance between you and your subject, meaning you don't, you don't necessarily want to or need to be right up on it. And, of course, and this is also going to be good if you really want to, um, because you have such a long focal length, it, uh, your, your depth of field becomes even more shallow. And if you really just want to knock the background out totally, this is a good range for that kind of effect, meaning it's just going to be nothing but soup in the background and uh, just your subject sharply in focus. So if you want to you know, not be too close and if you want to really knock the background out, then that 150 and north is a good range for that. All right. So those are the lenses. If you are, remember I said we were talking primarily about you know, lenses in this approach. And if you're shooting in Canon, you'll notice that you have options of the 60 millimeter. Um, there's a 100 millimeter F28. I think they're all F28s. Yep, they are. And then there's a 180 millimeter F28, which uh, you'll find on the Canon line. I'll have links to all of these in the show notes. Nikon has had a few more options in their newer Mac micro. And Nikon refers to theirs as a micro, M-I-C-R-O lens. So it'll be a Nikkor micro lens if you're looking for Nikon versions of them. And they have a 40 millimeter, 60 and 85, a 105, and a 200. And all of these models have macro um, macro capability on them. All right. So if you if you got your lens down, you've decided you know which one you want. You know, depending on what kind of an effect you're looking for, what other tools will you need? And some of the must-have tools that I say will be a tripod. Remember we talked about not needing a tripod if you had one of the shorter lenses, like the 40 to 60. But if you are deciding to go with anything longer, a tripod can be very helpful. Because when you get in that close, your margin for error just really increases. And it's magnified with the image. Meaning when you depress the shutter, you're moving the camera and... It, it increases the possibility that you will get camera shake. In the 105 millimeter that I used for the macro images I've been shooting lately, I found that even when I have a shutter speed, let's say twice the speed of the of the lens, and by that I mean a 105 meaning one two hundredth of a second, or around that range, which for most handheld photography should be fast enough to avoid camera shake. I found that there are lots of cases where I saw camera shake in the image and it just wasn't as sharp as I'd hoped it to be. And if you went into that, there's really no substitute for just putting the camera onto a tripod and taking the photograph without touching the camera. And for that, you'll also need a remote control or a cable release. So I say if you really want to get into macro photography, the tripod and remote and or cable release are the must-have tools. Um, if, you, if you're shooting, there's some good-to-have tools, too. And the, these will 
are going to help you with your lighting. Here, the first one is a reflector or a diffuser. So if you if you're getting in really close and there's a strong light source coming from one side of your subject, it's likely you'll have of course shadows on the other side, and so a reflector is a good tool to bounce some light back up and fill in some of those shadows. You know, if you're getting in close and you're working with things where you can move around a bit, that might be a, a helpful tool. Um, if you are using it for food photography, for instance, that might be a good a, a good tool to use, a reflector or something to diffuse the light. By the same token, if a flash is also a good-to-use tool, if you have a an external flash that you can take off of the camera and move to the side, that works well too, even if you pair it with your reflector. So you'll have a flash on one side filling in, I mean, illuminating your subject on the other side, um, if you're, you can have a, ref, a reflector. And because you're getting in so close, you can have you know, these fairly close to the subject, but still outside of the frame because you're going to be in so tight um, the, as you fill the frame with your subject. I tried to do some of this just the other day as I was playing around with food photography. You know, it works very well because, you, again, you know, even if you're ha you know half a foot away from the plate with your reflector, it's still way outside the range of what the camera will pick up. And and boy, that uh, filling in that shadow really works well for you. All right, so I would say that's another good to have tool. A lot of the cameras now have these screens that rotate. I think they call them articulating screens, and these are you know these are good for if you're shooting subjects that are very low to the ground or very high. Well, sometimes with your macro, you can be shooting subjects that are very low to the ground, and so a screen that will pop out. Your an LCD LCD screen on the back of your camera that will pop out and then you know go horizontal for you will allow you to look down and to not have to lie down onto the ground to look through your viewfinder or at the lcd screen you know that's a quality of life feature you know it's a nice to have so a screen like that it's good and if you don't have one some manufacturers sell sort of a periscope looking attachment that you can you can attach to your viewfinder and so as the name suggests, it's sort of an L-shaped periscope, meaning it will allow you to look down into your viewfinder rather than having to put lay on the ground and put your eyes flush against the back of the the viewfinder. So that's another nice to have. And of course, I love my little loop. It's L-O-U-P-E. It's a you know, it's just like the jeweler's loop. But it allows you to put it on the back of the LCD screen and magnify the image there, and especially if you're shooting outside, it lets you block a lot of the extraneous light that makes it very hard to see what you're doing on the back of the LCD screen. You know, that's another quality of life feature that um, I think once you've used it, you go, oh, how did I ever do without this? And so you've got the loop, and that is, a again, a good tool to really look and see because you're going to want to be, the, the, as we said, when you start to do this, the details are going to matter so much more, and meaning you're going to want to see up close what exactly what you're doing if you got the the exact points you wanted in focus and and uh, you know things like that. 
that's a good to have tool. So let's talk about your settings next. So in 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 most photography, you want to go with the lowest ISO possible because that, of course, gives you the richest colors and the sharpest image. And macro photography is no different. And usually we end up raising our ISO only because there's not enough light and we want to be able to get faster shutter speeds. We want to be able to go handheld. But if you're going to use your tripod, which I suggested we do earlier, then then you're free to now lower the ISO. And and then the only caveat there is you this is usually uh, you know, good advice if your subject's not moving around too fast, like a butterfly that's, if you're trying to get a butterfly that while it's flittering around, then uh, too slow of a shutter speed, which is what you'll get as a result of lowering the ISO, um, you know, that might create too much blur. So in most cases, the subject isn't moving that much. It's, it's at a standstill and you have a tripod, then you want to go and lower the ISO to 100 or 200, um, which is where you, you will get your best results. You want to vary the f-stop or your aperture quite a, in, a bit. Now, you would think that you, you because you're trying to isolate your subject so much, you'll need to shoot wide open with your f-stop, but that's not necessarily the case. Because you're so close to your subject, the the depth of field is naturally shallow. So rather than having to shoot wide open at 2.8, you can raise that to f7, f9, and and even higher and still get a pleasing amount of depth of field, shallow depth of field on the photo, and uh, and um, and and also have more of the area in focus, more area in focus, so that you don't want the to look like the entire thing is out of focus meaning the the actual point of focus is so small that it's almost impossible to see that something is in focus. So you you might want to vary your f-stop and and make it a little um, smaller than that. You you won't need to have it wide open. The other thing you want to think about, too, when you're playing around with your depth of field is, so the hyperfocal, uh, so... I don't want to get you technical, but typically you'll have your point of focus and about a third of the area in the foreground is going to be in the focus and two thirds of the area behind it will be also uh, out of focus, meaning a third of out of focus in in front of your, your focal point and two thirds of the area behind will also be out of focus on, I, I think I said that right, I, almost confuse it in my own brain. You'll have the point that you have in focus and the area that's out of focus will be one third of the the area in front of it and two thirds of the area behind it. Uh, there we go. But then when you start playing with macro photography, that, that distance can shift a bit and you can almost have half and half, meaning half the area in front of and half behind. You'll want to really pay attention and play with this because you're in so close. Um, when you do this, when you remember when we... We go with the lower ISO, and when we vary our f-stop, and you're still going to draw longer than normal shutter speeds, which, as we said before, would tend to you know create or lend itself to more uh, camera shake, which is why we're going to be using um, our tripods. Finally, well, not finally, you're going to also want to go to manual focus mode. 
And the reason is when you're using your autofocus, it's really some when you're in that close, it can be really tough to get the exact point um, in focus when you're shooting in with autofocus mode, right? It's, you'll find that if you just turn off autofocus and just manually adjust because you're really talking um, in 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 inches or millis, millim, you know, millimeters and just it's just such a, a small area you're working with, you can be more precise with your manual focus. So you would want to do that. I turn off the vibration reduction because again, when we're in this tight, any any movement can cause camera shake. And I, I know with the newer lenses, the Canon and Nikon uh, people tell you that it, it has you know, tripod detection on it. Uh, the lens is made a little earlier, like the 105, which is what the one I was using. Um, I don't think it's on that one, but I just find that I get better results when I turn that off. The other thing you want to do is to help avoid potential camera shake is use the mirror up feature. And, and the reason for this is, again, anything, you know, your, your margin for error is so tight there that any movement can create camera shake. And so with your DSLR, you know what happens is you're looking through your viewfinder at this mirror, which pops up out of the way when you take a photograph and then slaps back down into place after the photograph has been taken. Well, that popping up and down um, can also cause just a little bit of camera shake. So you don't want that to happen. And so you have a mirror up feature in, on most DSLRs. And what you'll do is after you've, you know, look through your viewfinder and you've, you know, gotten the exact shot you want framed up and everything is focused just the way you want it focused, you pop that mirror up and then you will go ahead and take the take your photos while the mirror is popped up. And then that will just ha have just one less moving part and one less um, thing to potentially create some camera shake in your in your image. And the other way to do that is to just use your live view because that'll also pop up your your mirror as well. Um, you know, some people have complained that that's not the best way to do it. It's, you know, your sensor is active. I have never had that problem when I have shot live view. And I, I sort of like being able to see the image up until the point where I take the photo. Because if you're looking through your, your viewfinder, you pop the your mirror up, then you're not able to see through there anymore. So anyway, I like the live view. I've not had any problems with it, but either way, whether you use live view or mirror up features, you want to keep that mirror from moving because one less moving part um, increases your ability to get a sharp image. And then finally, when you're shooting, you want to, and now that you're in tight, wow, this just opens up a whole new world because sometimes less really is more. And you'll find by shooting, by having less in your frame, you have more things um, to look at. And, and, and this, of course, is where I would look at different angles, going left, right, up, down, sometimes just looking straight on. Since you're on a tripod, it's easy to lock down at any specific uh, point. But you'll see looking at your subject in lots of different ways can... Uh, open up your creativity 
Again, as I said before, you want to experiment with your f-stops. You don't always have to be wide open to get shallow depth of field. And of course, all the composition rules apply. You want, even though you're in tight and you're looking in a small area, you want to make sure that you have a clear point of focus in this image, meaning, you know, where is my subject? You want to be clear about that. You want to make it stand out. You want to eliminate all your distractions. All your composition rules apply, and you want to be very clear about that as well. All right, so I hope that helps. Remember, macro photography lets you get very close to your subject. You want to pick a macro-specific lens, anywhere between 40 to 200 millimeters. So 200 millimeters, depending on how close you want to get to your subject and whether or not you want to be handheld or not. You want to um, get in and use your tripod and and make sure that you keep the camera steady as steady as possible. You want to play around with, with lighting sources like your reflector or your flash. And of course, then you want to mimic your daytime settings where you're going to go with a very low ISO and uh, play around with your f-stop to see how to, to get the depth of field that uh, is going to be best for your image. And then, of course, look at your different uh, shooting locations. All right. So I hope that's helpful to any of you who are thinking about shooting macro in macro settings and shooting more macro photography. Uh, you know, I have on the show notes for this page, I've created a a uh, infographic on covering all this the steps we just talked about and if you click on it we'll also I'll also have a sort of a PDF checklist that it functions as a, as a checklist I guess so that you can sort of take that with you when you're shooting as a reminder or reference while you are taking your photos so I'm hoping that will be helpful for you as well as links to the macro lenses made by both Nikon and Canon all right now, finally, because this is the Ask Lynn segment where I get to answer your questions, if you have a question for me that you'd like me to, to tackle in an upcoming episode, you can go to shutterbuglife.com forward slash Ask Lynn. You can submit your question there as well as see some of the latest Ask Lynn uh, posts where I've answered other questions from other users, viewers, people in the community just like you. All right. So good. That's uh, it for the Ask Lynn segment on Mike, Mike macro photography. I hope that was helpful for you. If you have a question or if you have an example of your own macro images, you know, leave them in the show notes. I'd love to see what they look like. And then others can see what kinds of work you're doing. I'll also include some of my own macro images that I shoot for fun as well so you can see what i'm talking about all right thank you so much enjoy the rest of your week and i'll be back at the beginning of next week with another shutterbug life podcast until then take care and enjoy your shutterbug life bye <laughs>